0: be with us now as we hear you. Um, thank you for all you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys, grab a seat. <clears throat> well, Again, I'm Darrell. I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, if you are new uh, to us, uh, welcome to Midtown 12 South. We'd love to meet you uh, after the service. Uh, Elliot, who is our lead pastor, is away this week with his family. Uh, they're up in Chicago doing whatever they do. Uh, and so, this morning, we are uh, entering into uh, this Advent season, uh, entering into a time where we look and uh, and wonder and wish and hope uh, with this glorious anticipation of what uh, Christmas season means. Uh, we're coming off of Thanksgiving, we're coming off of the Thanksgiving uh, holiday, the Thanksgiving weekend, and I trust that uh, your Thanksgiving went well. Uh, mine was terrible, I'll tell you why. Um, my wife is like super sick. She has the, like the mega flu or whatever it is. Um, and so I saw her for about five hours all week. She's been, uh, she's been terribly sick. Uh, and so I was with my son who is one year old and he's a delight when he's not sick, but he was also sick. Uh, and so, uh, our Thanksgiving plans got ruined. I had Steaksgiving by myself, um, I, I grilled a steak, and I made this sweet potato casserole that I found online, and it was terrible. Uh, so I just sat there and just commiserated with myself and my dog. Um, but thankfully, I don't know, they're on the mend. Uh, what that means, though, is that there wasn't a lot of time to work on uh, the sermon this morning, so I don't know what you're going to get. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. Uh, there might be some cuss words written down in here. I don't know what's happening. Uh, but we are uh, we're going to trust and and, and hope that Uh, the Lord will meet us that he will uh, that he will meet us in this time in this season uh, as we enter into Advent and what Advent means kind of literally is appearing it means uh, you're you're waiting for something to appear Um, in the Christian context in our context obviously this is the appearance of the Messiah the appearance of the promised one Um, and so this Advent season that kind of lands on the church calendar near the end of the year uh, sort of coinciding with how daylight savings time falls back and everything kind of slows down because it gets dark so much earlier. You're, you're kind of thrust into this place where you, uh, you sort of have to stop a little bit. Uh, Advent does that for us um, as we see and, and, and look all through Scripture from Genesis uh, to the appearance of Jesus in the Gospels, uh, what uh, the story that God has written says about us and what it says about Jesus. Uh, And so as a movement for Midtown uh, Fellowship, we are looking at some of the characters that played a part in the Christmas story. So you're not getting a true Advent. So if you want that, you go somewhere else for the next four weeks. We'll see you in January. Um, What we're looking at is uh, all these different folks who played a part in the Christmas story. Uh, We're going to look at Herod. We're going to look at the shepherds. uh, We'll look at Joseph. We'll look at Mary. Uh, She was kind of important to that. so we're going to look at all the uh, all the players who had a part but we'll start uh, with Herod because he's the worst so we'll begin with him um, and look at what he had to say uh, and how he reacted uh, to this idea that there is a coming king who is coming to conquer who is coming to uh, sort of launch a new and final kingdom and what that meant uh, for Herod who had built a kingdom of his own Uh, I think we'll find uh, that the similarities between us and Herod are a lot more than we would care to admit, uh, but we'll also find that there is grace uh, for the Jesus who, uh, who loves us and brings a kingdom of mercy. Uh, so that's where we're going to be this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2. Um, if you have a copy of the scriptures, it'll also be on the screen. Uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit um, all throughout chapter 2, but mostly camping out in 1 through 8 and then 13 through 20. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by these wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, and take this child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel. Let's pray together. Father God, we do uh, come to you this morning asking for uh, grace and mercy uh, that we have uh, in many ways reacted in the way in which Herod reacted uh, to the news of your coming uh, that uh, when you show up, it means that we have to lay things down. Um, and that's hard and it's painful. And so God, this morning, would you uh, have mercy on us? Uh, would you give us uh, the courage? Uh, would you give us uh, the grace to believe uh, that Jesus is who he says he is? Uh, and while we uh, wait, uh, while we wait patiently on his second return, uh, would you sustain us in this time with your Holy Spirit, um, whom you send as a comfort to us Uh, would you send your Holy Spirit to fill this room would you send uh, the Holy Spirit uh, to move our hearts uh, to allow us to see Jesus as beautiful uh, and that we would leave here rejoicing uh, because you have done great things Uh, it's in your son's name we do pray amen Uh, so it's Advent season um, and we are as I said before we're gonna look at different players uh, in the Christmas story we come to Herod this morning and uh, we wanted to talk about Herod. Uh, it's important because we like to gloss over Herod. Uh, Herod's not going to show up in your nativity set at your house. Uh, no one's going to play Herod in like the Christmas play uh, because uh, we 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 want to to kind of gloss over the, the things that he did because they were so terrible. Um, but Herod was the king. He was the king at the time uh, of the coming of Jesus of the birth of Jesus. He was appointed by Rome. Remember. Uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Judea, the Jews were under Roman rule. Um, they had been that way uh, for a while. Uh, we ended our Nehemiah series that sort of ended the Old Testament. And then there's this 400 year period of silence um, and Israel has been captive to somebody for a really long time. Uh, and so Herod is over uh, is over the province where Jesus was to be born um, and he was given sort of handed this kingdom, And so we want to look at him uh, because of his reaction to Jesus. So we're going to see really two things in this passage. Uh, We'll see the trouble with Christmas. Uh, If Christmas is true, then it means it's troubling in some ways. Uh, And then we'll see the triumph of Christmas. Uh, Because Christmas is true, uh, what does it defeat? What does it win uh, in our lives? Uh, So let's look uh, at at Herod here. Uh, So while Christmas is a time ripe with memories and traditions and trees and candles, there's a live fire back here. I start smoking, it's not because I'm a good preacher, it's because I'm literally on fire, so somebody put me out. Um, That there is uh, all this stuff that we love, um, all the things, the decorations uh, that are wonderful about Christmas, um, those show up, but it also means, uh, what Christmas means is this. Humanity was so bad um, that Jesus had to come and fix it. Um, that God Himself, uh, the Godhead, uh, the second member of the Trinity, had to leave heaven and come to earth um, and go through all the trials and, and tribulations and and pain and horror of just being a human, um, in order to fix what we had broken. Um, Christmas is certainly all the great things, and it's certainly that as well. Uh, and we hold those two in tension all the time, uh, because the trouble of Christmas. Means that mankind is more fallen and more broken uh, than even we can imagine, um, and the promise of Christmas doesn't just come to us here in Matthew. Uh, it's easy to think that that's just where like Jesus shows up, uh, but we see God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit uh, all the way back in the Book of Genesis. Uh, that when uh, the Trinity has existed together forever um, in perfect harmony and in perfect relationship and in perfect union. Uh, and God starts to create things in Genesis 1 where he makes the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And he separates uh, water from dry land. Uh, he has the animals and he puts them there. Um, he says all those things are very good. Then he creates Adam. Um, and he says that's very good. But what he says isn't good is that Adam is alone. And so he creates Eve uh, to be a helpmeet for him. Um, and then they have Adam and Eve and God says this is very good. That the things that he's created Is now very good kind of the crown jewel of his creation being uh, man and woman and their relationship together Uh, and then we see just a couple chapters later in genesis 3 uh, that the serpent comes in uh, satan who is disguised as a serpent comes in and tricks adam and eve uh, by making them question god's goodness to them adam and eve did god really say you couldn't have that um this must mean he's holding out on you it must mean that he doesn't have good for you. And they kind of fall and, sub- and submit themselves uh, to the schemes of the devil. Uh, and then there is what we call the fall of mankind that happens. And uh, in all that, in all the sadness and the chaos that is kind of, bre- kind of born and bred out of that, uh, because sin has now entered into the world, uh, God makes a promise in the midst of all these curses that he makes. Uh, so he's cursing the devil for what he did. Uh, And he tells Satan that there's gonna come a day that someone who is born of the seed of the woman of the line of Eve is going to come and crush his head Uh, and so creation and mankind and humanity and God's people and all of us have been waiting ever since that promise was made in Genesis chapter 3 which is the first gospel presentation uh, that there's gonna come a Messiah who's gonna come and stamp out death and stamp out evil Uh, God's people have been waiting ever since And then we get Noah and we think maybe he's the guy who can do this and he fails Uh, we get Abraham and think maybe he's the guy who can fix this and he fails Uh, the greatest and probably closest that Israel ever thought they could get was King David and he really messed up and and so all these folks who are rising to power and prominence uh, who we think oh this might be the Messiah this might be the chosen one Israel puts all their hope in King Saul they put their hope in David they put their hope in the judges uh, and all those things fail, and then we enter into the time of the prophets, like we just saw with Nehemiah, um, who maybe Nehemiah is the one who can fix this. And Nehemiah couldn't fix it. Uh, and then there's this period of silence for 400 years. God's people didn't hear from him for 400 years. America has been a country for about 240 some years. They didn't hear from God's people for four, or God, they didn't hear from God for 400 years. There was absolute silence. And so here we are, uh, God's people waiting and waiting and waiting on this Messiah to be born. And now they're under the thumb of this goofball King Herod, who uh, we'll hear about here in a minute, was just kind of a terrible person. Um, But there's also something that happens in the hearts of God's people. Um, It's that every time a, a ruler would come up and Israel would seek prominence, Israel would always forget and they would always fall it's because we always are seeking ways to to really build our own kingdoms this is what Herod is doing uh, here's my kingdom I've made it it's untouchable um, and we are we are like Herod in that way in that uh, we have crafted a way that the world works for us and if Jesus comes in he's really gonna mess that up and there's a world and a people who are so turned in on themselves. Because while we were victims of the fall, obviously, uh, we're also sort of willing participants in sin all the time. Uh, and so we're always making these choices that are against the choices that we know that God has laid out for us. And so we have a world and a people so ter- turned in on themselves that they would forget God and his promises altogether. But then Christ shows up in Bethlehem. Born of a woman, coming as a baby, he comes this night like a block of C4 and explodes any reality that we can even craft a life apart from him. But there's no way that God is going to even allow you, he loves you too much to even allow you to craft a life apart from him. Um, and this is why Herod was so mad, because humanity was more broken Than they could ever imagine but Jesus comes and if the promise of the Messiah is true then Jesus comes to show that humanity is more loved than they ever dared dream and that's really good news because while we are more broken than we could ever imagine we're more loved than we ever dared dreamed and now Herod has a choice to make and we have a choice to make because if we're more loved than we ever dared dream it's easy to want to stop there And just rest there and we should because it's the gospel but that also means that Jesus is coming to to build a kingdom and it's going to advance and that means that our own kingdoms are going to have to fall and here's where Herod messed up this is where Herod got a little too big for his britches uh, because what Herod does it's almost comical he tells the wise men hey Wise men, when you find that baby, like, tell me about it because I kind of want to worship him too. I'd really like to worship this Jesus and smack him in the head. Like, Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus at all. So when the wise men set out to find Jesus, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, as we know, uh, the wise men aren't going to go back to Herod. But Herod doesn't know that. Herod is here and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. He's crafting a narrative in his head. Um, he's waiting on these wise men to get back because he's so threatened at what Jesus at the birth of Jesus and the announcement of Jesus that he doesn't know what to do. What Jesus meant to Herod was that he was going to lose power because Herod knew uh, Herod knew the people that he ruled over. He knew the Jewish people. Um, he wasn't a very good Jew, but he knew them, um, and he knew that the Jewish people are resilient people. He would have known about Nehemiah. He would have known that the Jews had a doctorate in rebuilding cities. He would have known uh, that they staked everything they were, their whole identity, on this fact that they were God's special and God's chosen people. Uh, that they didn't care necessarily about political power. They didn't care about all that. What they cared about was that God thought they were special. And Herod is ruling over these people, and he knows that if Jesus is here, if God has really broken his silence, what this means uh, is that my kingdom is going to tumble, that I'm going to be stuck in the rubble, because it would have been no secret to Herod what was happening in his community. That when Elizabeth gets born with John the Baptist, and she's way too old to have kids, uh, and so this barren woman gets uh, pregnant, and now she's going to have a baby, and then there's this virgin who showed up, and she's pregnant, and she's going to have a baby. Uh, He would have known about the rumblings that were taking place in Bethlehem, Um, these quiet explosions of grace that were happening all around him, and it would have appended his security and laid waste to his significance. And if Jesus were to be king, this meant that Herod was to be king no longer. And the mistake that Herod made is a mistake that we make all the time. Herod made the mistake of thinking that Jesus wanted political power. Herod made the mistake of thinking uh, that Jesus was coming for his throne. He wasn't coming for his throne to be uh, the one who just sits there and like rules over Israel like geopolitically Um, Jesus is coming for far more than Herod's throne and the way that we're like Herod um, it raises the question that we have to ask is who is this Jesus to us who is this Jesus that uh, was born in a manger that came to launch this revolution throughout the world this Jesus who is going to turn hearts and cities And towns upside down, eventually turning the world upside down with this adoptive love of God the Father. How does this Jesus impact our daily lives? How does that Jesus that we just heard about, the Jesus that we read about, the Jesus that Herod was so threatened by, uh, how does that Jesus uh, impact your Thanksgiving weekend? How does he impact the Christmas weekend that's coming up? How does he impact um, what you're doing right now? Uh, Because uh, while Herod thought that Jesus was coming for his throne... Uh, jesus was coming for hearts and jesus is coming for souls and jesus is coming to redeem the world and restore broken places and redeem broken people Uh, and that jesus isn't like the nice god jesus that we throw up Um, here's what nt wright says about jesus about the incarnation how can you live with this terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human that fire has become flesh That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it's nonsense. It's a bit of deceitful play acting. It's a sham. Most of us unable to cope with saying either of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. The trouble with Christmas is that we either need to crown Jesus as king Or we kill him as a criminal those are the only two choices that are available to us for Herod this choice was very clear because when the wise men ghosted him Herod did what Herod always does he killed somebody Uh, we see in Roman records all over the place uh, that Herod was not a nice guy Uh, Herod had his own family killed he had his own wife killed he had his kids killed Uh, there's a report that on the day that he died he he ordered an execution uh, of over 350 Jews uh, on the day that he died. And so Herod was bloodthirsty. He was insecure. And so um, what Herod does is he's like, okay, wise men, you're going to ghost me. Here's what I'm going to do I'm just going to kill every baby that's under two years old. Every male kid under two in this town, I'm going to kill them. Uh, and that'll get rid of that Jesus. Uh, that'll get rid of him. Um, Bethlehem wasn't big. <laughs> this sounds like I'm going to justify baby murder, but that's not the case. Uh, Bethlehem wasn't a big city. It wasn't a big town. Uh, but this would have meant that he would have killed about 30 or 40 babies. This was nothing to Herod. Um, and Herod really is no different from us. I'm not saying you're going to go out and kill 30 or 40 babies. I hope you don't. Please don't. Um, but how are like Herod is this. Herod had his kingdom and what he thought it should look like. And then this kingdom that Jesus is going to usher in doesn't look like that. And they're going to rub up against each other and somebody's got to give. Something's got to give. And Herod wasn't willing to be the one to do that. Herod gets so crazy about, about keeping his own kingdom that he kills his family. He kills babies he doesn't care. He kills a ton of people. He's, he lies about the wise men. He lies about his intentions. He does everything he can Uh, to keep his kingdom values and the kingdom values that are coming in from Jesus uh, as separate as they can be and when our kingdom values rub against the values that Jesus has we'll fight we'll get furious we'll get mad we'll stop at nothing to get our way we'll take verses out of context we'll ask ourselves just like the devil asked Adam and Eve at the beginning of all things did God really say blank Did God really say that he has a claim over how I spend my money? Did God really say that he has a claim over my sexuality? Did God really say that he has a claim over how I spend my time? Uh, Did God really say that I have to look after the poor and not exploit them? Did God really say that I have to do business with integrity? These are all kingdom value questions. And they've been asked since the beginning of time because if God really does have a say in that, then it means... That all the areas in my heart that I won't surrender to Jesus belong to him anyway that if Jesus is the Lord of all he's the Lord of all and that means that he has every right to go into the house of our heart and start turning doorknobs like you're nosy on at your house coming in and start turning doorknobs going in rooms you don't want him to go in flipping over furniture moving things around and that he can come in that christ can come into our heart and declare that it's demolition day to all the idols that we hold so dear and we don't want that i don't want that and you don't want that because it's painful and so we shut down or we deconstruct or we abandon the faith or we take our ball and we go home or we tell god uh, that he can go this far but no further but if we know anything about how god works we know that our plans to protect all those things are going to fall if we know anything about the plans of god we know that he's going to break through anyway Herod got angry and he killed a bunch of babies our temper tantrums are a lot more classy than that our temper tantrums are a lot more intellectual than that but uh, but they're tantrums nonetheless so this Christmas let's ask ourselves what are the areas in our hearts and in our lives and in our work and our sexuality where we have drawn a line and said that Jesus cannot cross where we keep Jesus at arms length? God you can come this far but you can't come any further you can tell me that I'm loved and that you'll do anything for me and that you died for me and that you left heaven and came to earth and you lived the perfect life and died the perfect death. I you, thank you for all that. All that's great, but you can't tell me what I can look at on the internet and what I can't look at on the internet. You can't tell me how I can spend my money. Uh, you can't tell me how I'm supposed to treat my wife. We've seen the trouble that Christmas poses. It poses this, uh, that Jesus is bringing in a kingdom um, and it's a kingdom that's fueled by love and mercy and service. And that's, that's really good news. What's really hard news um, is that it's a kingdom that's going to advance even over our own attempts to build our own. So we've seen the trouble with Christmas, but if we look at our last point, let's look at the triumph of Christmas over our kingdoms. If Christmas really is what it, what it claims to be, if it really is good news for us, how does it triumph over all those areas of sadness? Because Herod launched, in, like, he, he launched genocide on these infants. He killed all the boys under the age of two, and he thought for sure that this meant Jesus was a part of that. This is where the Christmas story gets even crazier. Because as the Holy Spirit always does, the Holy Spirit was moving. It was moving. Um, it's about to take Herod's plan and use that plan to even advance God's own kingdom Now, this is what God does all the time uh, because the Holy Spirit came to Joseph in a dream and instructed him to take Jesus to Egypt uh, to flee Herod to flee uh, the murder that was going to take place and that same spirit appeared to the wise men to tell them not to return to Herod God had thwarted the plans of Herod and the plans of the devil and the crazy thing about it is he not only thwarted their plans he used their plans to prove the promises that he had already made. This is a passage that is ripe, ripe for the picking when it comes to prophecies being fulfilled. Now let's look at all the prophecies that are fulfilled because King Herod is crazy. The first one, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah tells us this that there is nothing flashy about Bethlehem. We just sang it, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the lie. That it's not this great place, it's not this mighty place, it's just kind of fine. It's just whatever. It's not a place that anyone would assume the Savior of the world would be born. But nonetheless, Bethlehem was mighty in the eyes of God and perfectly suitable to be the birthplace of his son. So the first prophecy that Herod helps fulfill is that Jesus is in Bethlehem at the time of Herod. Um, But what's even greater about Bethlehem is that in Hebrew it literally means the house of bread. Um, that's what Bethlehem was supposed to be. That's why it was such like a destination spot. That's why it was so important in the eyes of God because the bread of life was going to be born there. If you know about the story of Ruth, this is a quick sidetrack. Uh, the book of Ruth, which is one of my favorite books, four chapters, you should read it today. Um, there's this irony that, they, that Ruth er, and Naomi, they leave Bethlehem to go to Moab to get food because they leave the house of bread to go find bread. This is, what, this is why Bethlehem matters. It's the house of bread. It's where the bread of life was born. So Herod f- helps fulfill that one. The second one that he helps fulfill is that we see that Jesus would be called out of Egypt. This is a prophecy made by Hosea in chapter 11 of his book. That God the Son would be so entwined with the people of God that because he came, he became like us so that we could become like him, right? That Jesus became a human and would be called out of Egypt and back to the promised land, that has echoes, right, of the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, uh, that God would call Israel out of Egypt back to the promised land. The first Egypt, or rather the first Israel terribly disobedient, the second Israel perfectly disobedient. Or Sorry, perfectly disobedient, that's what I am. Perfectly obedient. That Jesus would be the perfect obedience uh, that Israel was not at the first Exodus. Um, That Jesus is so entwined with his people that God would now look at his people because they're connected to Jesus and say, you're mine. God has two speaking parts in the New Testament. That's it. Both times he's talking about how much he loves his son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And because we're connected to Jesus, God is saying to you, this is my son and my daughter in whom I'm well pleased because of the connection that they have. Jesus and the last prophecy that he fulfills is that Jesus would go to Nazareth Uh, Matthew writes this which is kind of tricky because Matthew's a little bit of a liar here Uh, there's actually no spoken prophecy that um, that Jesus would be uh, in Nazareth what Matthew was getting at here is that Jesus would be despised Um, because we all have a little bit of xenophobia in us Um, think about where you're from like where you grew up and then think about that place you hate uh, there's always, like, your hometown, and then there's, like, the next hometown that's lame. Um, Nazareth would have been the lame hometown. Uh, Nazareth would have been the place that nobody would want to be from. My friend Les says that the Christmas story would be like saying the Son of God, the hope of the world, lies in a truck stop in Lewisburg, Tennessee. Like, that's where, like, it's crazy to think that. That Jesus would be born in, or would, be, would, would claim Nazareth as like the place he would live. Uh, in, the, in the book of John, in chapter one, there's this great story about Nathaniel who's being pursued by Jesus to be a disciple. Um, his brother runs to him and says, Hey, we found him. We found Jesus, uh, the Messiah of the world, the hope of creation. He's here, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds, Nothing good can come from Nazareth, Jesus is going to be despised. This is what Herod helps us see here. Um, And ultimately what what Herod helps us see, what Herod Herod shows us, um, and there's such great beauty in this. What Herod shows us is that there is no evil that God himself cannot in the end turn to our good. Look at all the evil that happens in this passage. There's genocide. Jesus has to flee. His family has to go. Jesus, being a refugee in Egypt, being called back, going to live in the middle of nowhere. None of us would write this story if we were given the pen of creation, and yet Jesus shows us that he not only redeems souls, he redeems our suffering. He redeems your soul, and he redeems your suffering. What Jesus shows us, what Christmas shows us, is all those places that his kingdom values are up against the values uh, of our, ki- our kingdom that we're trying to build all those places aren't beyond redemption that there's hope for us that there's only two places where hope is dead it's in hell where hope is abandoned and it's in heaven where hope is realized so as long as we're here as long as we're on earth as long as we have breath then there's hope and redemption for our stories the sexual history and the mistakes that you've made, even this week, are not beyond redemption. The suffering of having to surrender your desires to remain, in God's, to remain in line with God's sexual ethic, that suffering has a bottom, but God's grace does not. All those times that we wish our crazy uncle would be quiet. All those times that we wish we were somewhere else. That we wish our life looked differently than the way it looks Uh, Jesus is offering redemption in those areas, those areas where we have exploited the poor, where we have exploited the powerless for our own gain, that even those areas can be redeemed. It happened for Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, whatever that means. And ultimately, all of those areas that you hate about yourself, all the sin that so easily entangles us, that trips us up, that shoves us in a locker, that steals our lunch money, that sin and the devil behind that sin will one day meet its end. That's what Christmas is about. There's the trouble of Christmas. That it means we're going to have to lay aside some things. Uh, there's the triumph of Christmas that shows us those things that we laid aside are going to be put to death and we, f- and we can live with and see and behold the beauty of Jesus. The beauty of Christmas is that we can lay all our deadly doing down. We can lay our achievements down. Uh, that We can lay all those areas where we have said, Jesus, you can't come any further. We can then come to Jesus with open hands and say, take this. I'm protecting, the things I'm protecting are trying to kill me. The things I'm protecting are not what you have for me. So Jesus, come and take those away. To allow our kingdom to crumble, to tumble, to topple, and then to join Jesus in the efforts of building his kingdom Through submission and love and mercy because that's where freedom is found it's not found in trying to protect our own little world Uh, it's found in submitting our world uh, to the creator of the world there's hope for us there's hope for us in this Advent season and as we look at the Christmas story let us pray that our eyes be open to the wonder and the magic of Christmas yet again let's pray it together Uh, King Jesus we are undone by your goodness to us Uh, that you would uh, be so kind and so merciful to us uh, to allow us uh, communion with you. Uh, That God the Father who authored this plan, uh, this crazy, crazy plan, uh, that you would be born of a virgin, uh, that you would uh, be homeless, uh, that you would be poor, uh, that you wouldn't have a place to lay your head, uh, that you'd go through puberty, that you'd grow up, um, that you would die a death uh, that was meant for us, uh, so that we might live for you, and that you would heal brokenness, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, uh, that you would uh, allow the deaf to hear and the lame to leap. Uh, these explosions of grace that we don't even know that you're doing, Lord, we are thankful for that, uh, and so Jesus, as we enter into a time of singing yet again, a time of Uh, Hearing your word spoke over us, uh, would you quiet and calm our hearts uh, to allow us to see you, to see you more fully uh, until that day in which we see you perfectly. Uh, It's in your son's name we do pray. Amen.